the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar-admitted attorney and also a bankruptcy law certified specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as I've shared with you before, in addition to holding a JD, I have a couple of other law degrees. That is to say, I'm also a master of the laws of taxation law, and I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual property laws, areas that I have a lot of affinity towards. And I have been so lucky as to be able to obtain both these master's degrees from one of my favorite alma maters, Golden Gate University School of Law, that's located in the mostly deserted but still beautiful streets of downtown San Francisco. And again, because of my training, my experiences, and most importantly, my lifelong interests, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. And I'm proud to say that sometimes as part of my practice, I have an opportunity to seek out and attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who sometimes find themselves the victims of financial elder abuse. So as always, I'm happy to come to you again today and again today from my makeshift studios in my home in the beautiful but mostly deserted streets of Oakland, California, which is right across the bay from San Francisco. And I come to you to discuss the financial and legal issues that are confronting um, individuals, families, and small business owners today. However, as always, I must warn you and ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help if you're facing some kind of legal issue or financial issue or when they're combined. And I do this because, as I'm known for saying, if you decide to represent yourself uh, around a legal issue, especially one dealing with your finances, it's really like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. Everybody else in the courtroom, including the judge and his or her law clerks, most people, you know, in in the in the stands, well, anymore we all conduct court 
uh, via the telephone or Zoom. But one day when we get back, but even so but via Zoom, everybody else involved in the case is going to have a law degree or they're going to be represented by someone who does. And so you don't want to be the one that's the odd person out. Because if you do take your little butter knife to this gunfight, you're likely going to be dead on arrival. I'm not talking about you as a mortal, but I'm talking about your valid claims and your righteous defenses. That is to say, they will likely see the promised land long before you do. So, as you know, the purpose of Selwyn's Law here is to help us think through the issues that, in fact, our finances and our money, and unfortunately, more often than not these days, the lack thereof, and what we need to do as families, as individuals, as small business owners to protect those rights. And also this show's purpose is, in case you haven't guessed it, is also to be uh, thought-provoking about issues of moment today. And along that lines, we're going to pick up where we left off last week and continue our discussion, which just seems to be the only discussion anybody's talking about these days, is COVID-19. But once again, focusing on the potential economic and legal implications for individuals, families, and small business owners, as well as our employees, and how much power, if any, can our government officials extend in order to control our behavior uh, in order to protect us from this deadly scourge, that is to say COVID-19, on the one hand, without unduly limiting our constitutional rights on the other. So again, we're going to use as our focal point an analysis of a lawsuit that was filed on April 24th, 2020, by a group of California business owners, the plaintiffs. They are challenging California's Governor Gavin Newsom, uh, California's Attorney General Xavier Becerra, California Director of State Public Health, that is to say the Chief Medical Officer in our state, Sonia Y. Angel, MD, and various city and county officials in Los Angeles, San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, and Ventura County, all in Southern California, and including Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti. These are the defendants asking a federal court to overturn the elected officials' various orders closing the plaintiffs' non-essential businesses that these elected official defendants implemented in order to slow the spread of COVID-19 to the rest of us. Now, the business plaintiffs state that in their complaint that the elected officials shelter in place and shut down of non-essential business infringe upon their, the business plaintiffs, civil rights and liberties under both the United States and California constitutions. And furthermore, if allowed to stand, defendants' orders will not only continue to violate the plaintiff's rights under both constitutions, but will continue to inflict massive and widespread economic damages to the plaintiffs, all while unconstitutionally placing the burden of defendants' respective orders on the backs of both small and large non-essential business, such as those who are the lead plaintiffs in this lawsuit. So, and they say they've already been financially crippled uh, by forcing uh, to be closed, forcing to close their doors and conduct mass layoffs as a result. So, again, 
Um, my source materials are the shelter-in-place orders by the various government officials, the actual complaint, and it's a complaint for declaratory relief and injunctive relief and damages, that is to say, hey, uh, court, say this about that and stop that about this and pay us money damages. And the, the suit is entitled Gondola Adventures at Al versus Gavin Newsom at Al. And it's case number 20-03789. And it's filed in the United States District Court for the Central District of California, Western Division. And that court is located in downtown Los Angeles. I'm also using our constitutions, both the United States Constitution and the California Constitution, as well as this nifty uh, interactive constitution that I shared with you last week uh, that analyzes each clause of the constitution. And it's looked at from both the progressive point of view, that is to say the American Constitutional Society, that's an organization that's progressive, and they believe that the constitution is a living organism that must be interpreted and updated. To, to keep itself vital. And there's also someone from the Federalist Society. That's an organization of conservatives and libertarians that believe that the Constitution, which is our baseline foundational document and our key legal document, and it needs to be interpreted according to the Federalist Society, according to its original text. So they're called textualists and originalists. And so the, the hopefully by these two groups, um, seeing what they agree with, hopefully we'll all get a better understanding of what the Constitution is actually saying. So here's where uh, we stand today. This is the conundrum we face today, as um, according to an article I read in Bloomberg Law today, May 7th, entitled From Guns to Churches, Emergency Virus Measures Test Core Rights and principles, and it's written by uh, Kimberly Strawbridge Robinson for that publication. And she states that state and local efforts to slow the spread of the COVID-19 with stay-at-home and lockdown orders has spurred a libertarian backlash, driving sometimes armed demonstrators into the streets and lawyers running into courtrooms all across the United States to file civil rights lawsuits. Now, aimed at freezing religions, congregations, and businesses from restrictions imposed in the name of protecting public health, these suits assert violations of the United States Constitution, you know, guarantees of freedom to publicly assemble, to worship, to bear arms, and not be stripped of one's property interests without due process and also just compensation, uh, rights of the proponents of these lawsuits assert must be preserved even if the countervailing risk is illness or death. Now, that's a pretty hard uh, stop right there. Now, these countervailing but equally important, in my opinion, concerns are matters of great moment. But I say they must be analyzed with more reason and not so much passion in order for our legal system and even for us to survive. So that's the purpose of this series of shows, to help us all come to grips with how much power, if any, our government officials can expend in order to control our behavior and in order to protect us on the one hand without unduly limiting our constitutional rights on the other. But first, we'll take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side. 
back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of today's very important topic. That is to say, just how much power can our government officials expand in order to control our behavior and protect us from this deadly COVID-19 scourge on the one hand without unduly limiting our freedom of expression, uh, our, our ability to run our businesses and to congregate where we want to, all constitutionally uh, guaranteed rights on the other hand. Now, we started our discussion last week, and we're going to pick up now the federal lawsuit by a group of business owners, and they complain against Governor Newsom and the various state and local government officials who are the defendants, including Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, for violations of the Federal Civil Rights Act, that is to say, Section 1983, for several shelter-in-place and non-essential business lockdown orders that went into effect in March of this year and have been, to a greater and lesser extent, extended, and against the various county sheriffs and other elected police persons charged with enforcing the non-essential business lockdown, that is to say to force the owners of these businesses to keep them locked down unless and until the elected officials modify those orders. And this ability to shut the business down, businesses down, is what the plaintiffs claim has had the legal effect of forcing the plaintiff, which are a collection of businesses in Southern California, and it's forcing them in their uh, statements that are alleged in their complaint to bear a public burden by entirely eviscerating plaintiff's ability to operate their respective businesses. Now, that's a pretty bold statement. Um, The order, again, according to the complaint, plainly, in the plaintiff's view, violate the due process and equal protection clauses of the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendment. So the Fifth Amendment was part of the original amendments that were part of the Constitution, and the Fourteenth Amendment was part of the um, post-Civil War uh, amendments that were geared towards um, giving uh, the former slaves rights that they didn't have prior to the enactment of these amendments. But the Fifth Amendment has several um, clauses in it, and the ones that are germane here, the taking clause where government can't take uh, private property, whether it's real or personal or um, intangible, without just compensation. And the 14th Amendment makes... The Fifth Amendment, the the clauses contained in the Fifth Amendment, applicable to states. So that's why the 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 Fifth and the Fourteenth Amendment are are talked about here. And there's also due process uh, uh, rights that are contained in the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendment. Again, extended 
the Fourteenth Amendment extends the um, rights to states, and you might say, "Well, why was that?" Well, it's because states, and we sometimes have this argument now. States' rights, you know, when I was a young person, that meant that the states were going to use their state rights to uh, make it such that black and brown people couldn't have the same rights as people had um, uh, part of the Constitution. So that's why. Anymore in a lawsuit where you're talking about due process, that is to say, you have a right to a fair hearing, you have, you have a right to notice what you're, um, uh, what somebody's alleging against you and an opportunity to defend yourself. And that is extended uh, to the 14th. And so that's what these plaintiffs are saying. Let, go, let me go back into their, um, their statements. Um, the orders plainly violate the due process and equal protection means that everybody should be treated uh, alike. That's not actually what it means. It means similarly situated people should be treated alike. And so next week, I'm going to go into a little bit more detail, but I want to have a grounding this week. So again, the orders of the uh, defendant, elected officials and their sheriffs and everybody else and their police uh, with their police power uh, plainly violate the due process and equal protection clauses of the 5th and 14th Amendments in that they unconstitutionally and disparately, I mean, treat people differently, apply one set of rules to businesses arbitrarily deemed essential versus all other businesses such as plaintiffs that are deemed non-essential. So some key, key words in here that we'll, we'll, we'll get back to. Um, okay. Uh, which must close pursuant to the order. So because the plaintiffs are saying they're treated disparately, treated with discrimination, and uh, they're saying there's no distinction between them and uh, the businesses that are essential, such as um, um, police, fire people, uh, food, grocery stores, pharmacies that provide us medicine. So the plaintiffs aver, that is, they state that all businesses in the state of California is essential to the health, welfare, and well-being of the citizens and the general health outcomes sought through the passage of these orders. That is to say, lowering the curve of the uh, COVID-19 could be accomplished through a less restrictive means. And so uh, I'll take a, a point of departure here. When you're analyzing whether or not something is constitutional or not, there's three levels of scrutiny, strict scrutiny, um, um, racial discrimination, intermediate scrutiny, um, discrimination against women, and then um, some rational basis for lesser tier of things. And so what the plaintiffs are saying that there is a less restrictive means for uh, the elected officials to protect us from COVID-19 than forcing them to shut their businesses down. Okay, the order effectively amounts to an impermissible, partial, or complete taking in violation of the takings clause of the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution that prohibits plaintiff's operation of their non-essential business uh, constitutes a regulatory taking of private property for public purpose without first just compensation. So that's what the, the taking clause of the Fifth Amendment is all about. Okay, an example. I, I have a, a goat farm on the outskirts of Oakland. Oakland wants to put a road in there. Oakland wants to put in a, um, a new um, uh, shopping mall. And so 
if Oakland wants to take part of my goat farm, which has been in my family for generations and I love my goats, they're going to have to give me just compensation, fair market value. And so it's not just for real estate. It's not just for goats. It's for anything intangible. So these plaintiffs are saying shutting down their business is a form of taking and they have not been justly compensated for it. So that's another one of their uh, allegations in this lawsuit. Okay. And then this distinction between essential and non-essential as far as they're concerned uh, constitutes irrational, arbitrary, and capricious law bearing no rational basis to any valid governmental interest. So again, that's the lower tier of scrutiny that goes on when a court decides if something's fair or discriminatory or not. Uh, the law has to be rationally related to a valid government interest. So I want you to think about that. Think about that. Okay, the notion that government-ordered shutdown of non-essential businesses such as the plaintiff is absolutely necessary in curbing the spread of COVID-19 constitutes an unconstitutional infringement on plaintiff's civil rights and liberties to operate in a free market economy. As national and statewide data has recently suggested, the economic impact of mandatory unconstitutional closures of non-essential businesses has an unnecessarily devastating and unprecedented crippling effect on local and state economies. All businesses are essential and necessary to the maintenance of health, welfare, and prosperity of California citizens. So that's the plaintiff's a big argument. And they also say that the order violates substantive and procedural due process of the fifth and 14th amendments to the United States constitution. And it also violates several of the articles of the California state constitution. Uh, so, and they're saying, unless they are granted injunctive relief, that is to say, have the court order the um, elected officials to um, stop enforcement of these orders, plaintiffs will continue to suffer irreparable harm for which they are left without any adequate remedy at law. And that's one of the requirements to get injunctive relief, especially a preliminary injunction. And they're saying in that they're subject to criminal cases, that is to say they can face misdemeanor citation and have to pay, pay fines based on the enforcement order by the county sheriffs. So the, the, these are the allegations. So that's what the plaintiffs say. I'd like to know what you say about the plaintiff's allegations. But before we do so, please, I want you to um, um, take this to heart and I'm going to summarize it this way. Again, as reported in Bloomberg Law's article of May 7th, momentous government responses to deep crisis is not anything that's new. Um, you know, people regularly bring constitutional matters before the court. And for example, you know, during the Civil War, there was a suspension of habeas corpus. Um, interning Japanese Americans during the Second World War and some of the surveillance techniques that took on after 9-11. Now, for those of this contagious crisis, health experts say that there's nothing wrong with the restrictions. And in fact, legal authorities say that 
you know, there's nothing wrong and that the court should show deference to elected officials when we're dealing with things like smallpox or COVID-19. So think about that. And if you have some time during the next week, reach out to me via email and let me know what you think. And then, like I said, next time we get together, I'm going to go over the clauses and hopefully make all of us um, smarter about whether or not government is doing too little or too much uh, to protect us. So with that, I'm going to leave it there for now. But as always in closing, I like to say here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, especially when it comes to keeping our families and our businesses safe within the bounds of our most important governing document. That is to say, the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the state of California. So till next time, take care. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to SelwynWhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. 